0: I'm Autumn Lockett,
1: and this is Mitch Randall,
0: and you're listening to Good Faith Weekly.
1: Welcome to this episode of Good Faith Weekly, and on this week's pod, we've got a very special guest with us, the executive coordinator for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship out of Atlanta, Georgia, the Reverend Paul Baxley, and we are delighted to have him, and we've got an extended interview with him, so you want to make certain you stay tuned that here in a little bit. But before we get to Paul's interview, uh, Autumn, how are you doing this week?
0: I'm doing very well. You know, we were a little bit nervous about what was going to happen on Friday. here. Well, I, I know.
1: I mean, you had your tickets, you went over to Tulsa. Friday. I mean, you stood in line, you and your children. And uh, so um, tell us how that went. Did, wait, did that you Friday? have to, you, I know you're probably very disappointed because the lines were out the door and you just or, couldn't get in, right?
0: No, the protesters just blocked us. Uh, we had on our red MAGA hats, and we just couldn't get in. It was so sad.
1: Well, maybe next time. Uh, we're here to talk today to uh, the Executive Coordinator for the Corrupted Baptist Fellowship about this year's General Assembly each and every summer, CBF, uh, like all Of our denominational uh, partners have meetings throughout the year and usually an in-person meeting. But because of the global pandemic and COVID-19, most of our partnering organizations, in fact, all of our partnering organizations, are having to switch from live in-person gatherings to virtual gatherings. And uh, CBF is going to be having theirs this week. And so uh, Paul talks a little bit about that. Um, If you want to know more about the Virtual General Assembly for CBF, you need to go to cbf.net. It is too late to register, but you can tune in this Thursday and Friday for the live stream. And uh, certainly a lot of wonderful preaching going to be there. A lot of uh, wonderful workshops. In fact, Autumn, we've got a workshop there, Good Faith Media.
0: We do. You are bringing some interfaith to CBF.
1: That's right. My very good friend here in Oklahoma City, Imam Imad Inchanci, Uh, we produced a short documentary uh, entitled Mercy About Him and His Life uh, in Beirut, Lebanon uh, as a Palestinian refugee uh, a couple of years back. And then more recently, Nurturing Faith, who is now part of the Good Faith Media family, uh, published a book about Imad's life called Cloud Miles. In fact, you can pick up that book at NurturingFaith.net right now, and in a few weeks you'll be able to pick that same book up at goodfaithmedia.org but yeah we're doing a workshop and so make certain you tune in on Thursday afternoon uh, for that workshop it's going to be a good time and not only are we doing the workshop but we also have a virtual booth at CBF so it tells all about what good faith media is going to to do in the future Uh, so we're really uh, psyched out about that I guess I don't know if that's a cool word to use or not
0: We'll be virtually um, showcasing some of our projects that we're really proud of, highlighting some of those, and then just giving people information about how to be part of Good Faith Media.
1: Absolutely. So make certain you uh, stop by uh, cbf.net this Thursday and Friday. And now let's uh, listen to the leader of CBF himself, Executive Coordinator, Paul Baxley.
0: Are you worried that COVID-19 is going to put off your plans for theological education? The Baptist Seminary of Kentucky is offering a full schedule online this fall. Our approach to online education is unique, offering classes live and face-to-face via Zoom. At BSK, relationship is critical, and we are thrilled to be able to offer our Master of Divinity, Pastoral Care Certificate, and Rural Ministry Certificate this way. Learn more at bsk.edu.
1: Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we have a very special guest with us, the Executive Coordinator for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. We welcome to the pod, Paul Baxley. Paul, thanks for being with us today.
2: Thanks, Mitch, for the opportunity. I've been looking forward to our conversation, and appreciate you inviting me.
1: Absolutely. Well, Paul, we have been asking every guest since we launched the podcast a few months ago... Uh, how you and your family are doing health-wise. How's the staff at uh, CBF? We just want to make certain everybody's doing okay during this pandemic.
2: Thank you, Mitch. Our family is uh, is doing really well. I, I would say our biggest family challenge is, you know, our oldest daughter is a high school senior. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of weeks ago, she was part of that large class of 2020 that had a very different end to her senior year and uh, high school graduation experience and certainly there are missed opportunities that we grieve as I know a number of families have all over uh, the country and all over the world. But at the same time, we're so keenly aware that so many other families all around the world are suffering impacts from COVID-19 that are so much worse than anything that we've seen Sure. um, that while we grieve what we took for granted and missed, uh, we're much more mindful of the devastating impact that this pandemic has had and is having and looks like will continue to have for the foreseeable future as the number of cases, unfortunately, keeps rising.
1: Right, but, sure.
2: uh, our family has weathered it well. Uh, the staff at CBF in Decatur, along with uh, state regional coordinators, partner ministry leaders, um, you know, all across our CBF uh, community, I wanna say that I've just been incredibly impressed and awed by the um, dedicated, agile, remarkable work that's been done on behalf of congregations for the sake of our mission in the world in a time when it had been very easy for all of us just to hunker down and say, all right, we'll just wait to the other side and try to come out on the other sure. side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not just that our staff in Decatur very quickly learned a new way of working remotely, while many of them were also teaching their kids in school. Um, you know, all of our seminary faculties pivoted in a few days to put their curriculum online. Uh, those of you in the media sector had to learn uh, new ways of doing your work. Our field personnel um, had to respond to really, really strict quarantines and challenges to the way they function. But just all around, there's been resilience and agility and persistence and perseverance and courage. And so uh, I think all of us have been challenged by this time, but I have to say I've been inspired by watching my colleagues on the CBS staff, uh, my colleagues who are state regional coordinators, partner ministry leaders, field personnel, and congregational leaders Mm-hmm. in this time.
1: Yeah. So, You're absolutely right because I mean that's one of the things uh, coming out of this or you know going into the pandemic and then enduring this pandemic that has been really really fascinating to watch has been the reaction by denominational leaders, by institutional leaders and by local church. Uh, leadership and laity, it's just been amazing to see how people have been able to adapt. There was some adjusting time, but they have been able to adapt and adjust, and some really significant and important ministry has taken place uh, during this pandemic. And we're going to ask you a little bit about that uh, later on. But before we do, and uh, like we talked about uh, before the interview began, there's not a whole lot to talk about uh, in no, in our world today. Uh, but before we do, we just want to take a moment to acknowledge the passing of someone that we know is very important to you and to CBF and to really all of our Baptist world. Uh, We lost a, a giant this week when Babs Ball, president of the ULMA and John Ball Foundation, passed away on June 14th. The Ball family has been long supporters of Baptist causes for decades, and I know CBF is planning this incredible tribute to Babs. What what can you tell us about your relationship with Babs and just some thoughts about her passing?
2: One of the great gifts that I've experienced in the 15 or so months since I started this uh, new ministry is I had several opportunities to be with Babs uh, during the last year or so of her life. Um, I had a chance to be a guest in her home, uh, to do a presentation in her church, um to be with her at General Assembly last summer to see her last fall when I was in Texas. And so I'm by no means the person in CBF space who knows Bab's ball the best. Uh, for most of my life, I've known of her and her family and their leadership in our community. But the chance to be in her presence and have conversations with her, in this last year year and a half has been an incredible gift mm. because even as she battled the illness that ended up taking her life, the clarity of her convictions were obvious. Mm. Um, the strength of her Baptist vision w- could not have been more clear. Um, she knew what she believed and she could articulate it with a, a compelling clarity. Um, You know, we talk a lot these days in CBF life about a more generous definition of CBF. That is, when we think about CBF, we don't want to think about an office indicator or a state or regional organization, but this large community of Baptist individuals and congregations and partner ministries who work together to have a voice in the world we couldn't have on our own and do a work in the world that Jesus needs us to do, but that none of us can do on our own. Babs was deeply invested in that kind of expansive, generous vision of Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, long before we had any language for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She's had a deep dream that those of us who worked in Baptist space would cooperate more fully together right. and make the best use of the resources we've been entrusted. Um, and, she wa- and, and she was willing to use all of her capacity, uh, her heart, her mind, her energy, and her family foundation resources to help make that dream come true um i found her inspiring um had it not been for the pandemic i would have been in texas again this spring and had hoped to see her mm-hmm. in person so i grieve i didn't have that opportunity um but just in several encounters in the last year of her life um i was struck by her strength by her faith i think her parents testimony her testimony is just obvious uh, obvious evidence of the profound difference deeply committed Christian lay people can make in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely in a world right.
2: that so often holds up uh, both for appreciation and ridicule Baptist ministers. Mm-hmm. I think Babs ball story and her family story is the story of the transformation that lay Christians can make if they open their lives to the, the spirit of love that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's very well said. Our heart goes out to uh, John, her husband, as well as Jackie and Julie, her daughters and the entire ball family. Uh, I know CBF is going to take uh, some special time along with all of our other institutions to pause and to pay tribute to Babs and, and her life. And, we appreciate uh, what CBF is doing to honor that as well. Well, we talked a little bit earlier about 2020 being like no other, Paul. I mean, I just can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I just can't remember a year like this ever uh, in the 49 thank years. Goodness. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yes, so, thank, goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. Well, one of the the major issues that we're facing globally is the pandemic uh, with COVID 19, and now we're up to over eight million. Uh, globally infected by the virus uh, here in the States, uh, well over 2 million infected, with just under 120,000 deaths reported as of this morning. I know that CBF has responded in a very significant and tangible way for their churches, for their leaders, for their partnering organizations. Uh, One of the things that CBF does and does so well is a concentration on long-term missional care. Uh, Mm -hmm. and chaplaincy care uh, in crisis. We've seen that in hurricanes and and other uh, significant events that CBF has responded. How is CBF going to respond long-term coming out of this pandemic?
2: So I think in in part that remains to be seen, right? Um, I think we can take some clues from what we've already seen in CBF in response to this pandemic. So I'll have to say that I first had a conversation about COVID-19 in early January after returning from a trip to Africa because we had field personnel in China.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so our global missions administrative staff here in Decatur, Stephen Porter and Sam Harrell, along with Eddie Rubel, who along with his wife, Cindy, leads our Asia field ministry team they were having daily meetings and daily conversations back in January about this virus it was, as it was spreading. And in late January, we had to make a decision to uh, to move Casey and Brittany Ramirez out of Chengdu, China, and to Malaysia because of the early spread of, of the pandemic. Um, so although the coronavirus pandemic became a reality for a lot of our congregation somewhere between March 8th and March 15th, in the CBF life, we've been navigating it longer than that. And early on, we discovered the fact that we were a global mission organization that had a relationship with the Baptist World Alliance and other global partners meant that as the pandemic came to the United States, even though our congregations were facing it head on for the first time, they were part of a community that had been dealing with it since early January. So that started us to wonder how could lessons from global partners and from our field personnel in Asia help us think about how we would talk about this with our congregations or talk about them uh, about the pandemic in in the public square. Um, you know we've seen field personnel since January have to redesign their ministry because of the pandemic. Interestingly enough, though, the fact that we've got field personnel that have served in countries and in communities 15, 20, and 25 years mm-hmm. means they have the deep rooted relationships that are required to um, adapt quickly and help people, particularly those um, experiencing the worst forms of poverty in the world, um, receive help in the face of this kind of pandemic. Sure. And they have the kind of government and, and other relationships that are required to navigate the changes required for their ministry. So our commitment to long-term presence, which is putting down deep roots in Asia and central Europe and other places, long before anybody knew what COVID-19 was, has become a tremendous gift for us in this season. It's a a gift to congregations that have relationships with field personnel from whom they can learn. It's a gift for us as we imagine our larger response so one thing I'd say is we've already learned that those long-term commitments and the relationships they foster give us uh, opportunities in the face of this crisis we would not otherwise have. If all we were doing uh, was sending people on one- to two-year mission assignments or three-month mission assignments, we would have had much less capacity um, to begin to imagine a faithful response as the virus spread. Sure. Um, Another place we've been putting a lot of energy is on um, supporting our congregational leaders as they navigate this new world, uh, both by listening to them and then by trying to offer resources. Um, so we've taken a lot of opportunities in the last several months to, to put congregational leaders in spaces where they can talk to us about what they're experiencing, uh, what challenges they've already figured out, what challenges they're still facing. Um, Several weeks ago now, we put out what we called a a suite of resources on resuming in-person worship, which are really a list of considerations to take into account before you take that step.
1: So where can churches find those resources, Paul?
2: They're on the CBF website. And I have to say, and and this is not for nothing, uh, in the first weeks of those resources being online, they were downloaded at a much faster rate, a much higher rate than anything we put up in years. So there, there, there was obviously a demand um, for that kind of resourcing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we watch as our congregations have totally reinvented themselves, and CBF has tried to be up to that challenge ourselves. Sure. So we're approaching our summer ministry entirely differently.
1: Yeah.
2: But rather than say canceling our General Assembly, assembly or just not doing our student summer programs. We decided to figure out how to do all those things differently. Right. Yep. So we have a whole cadre of college and graduate students do student.go and student.church placements this summer without ever leaving their homes.
1: (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. Virtual
2: internship experiences. And one of the things we started to figure out was uh, college and graduate students have some gifts when it comes to technology and navigating virtual environments that are a real blessing, both to field personnel around the world, their partner ministries, and also to congregations Mm -hmm. that need resourcing in those areas. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it's been really exciting to see uh, how CBF in particular, and again, all of uh, the facets of CBF and partnering organizations have responded to this pandemic. Uh, Like we said a moment ago, uh, it really has been a phenomenal response in the adaptability of uh, everyone to find a new normal during uh, Mm -hmm. a moment in history that... You know, none of us ever anticipated uh, or expected, but that's not no, all. Four, three
2: months ago today, Mitch, I will just say this you yeah. were Three months ago today, on March the sixteenth, we challenged our CBF staff as we moved into remote office to reimagine everything about their work.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: To assume gonna, for, there was going to be a period of time where everything we usually did wouldn't be possible, but how could we best use our our gifts, our capacities, our energies? our time to do things that were most needed for congregations and for our mission in the world. And, you know, yes, we were having that conversation at CBF global, you were having it on the way to being good faith media states and regions were having it. And I think we really have seen some of the best ministry and the best innovation and the best collaboration in CBF's 30 years in what the Holy Spirit has been doing among us in this season that none of us wanted. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like we've tapped back into the agility you see in Acts.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. And agility is not
2: usually a word used to describe downtown traditional churches. So <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is a significant step in a moment for, uh, for our congregations that I think when we look back, we will see that although this was a completely unwanted and terrible moment in some ways, and provided an opportunity for a new kind of faithfulness. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. In that, yeah, in
0: that same kind of vein that you're talking about, I heard you talking about the responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes. Um, things like long-term planning that you guys aren't just blipping in and out of ministry, but you're there for the long
2: haul. Yes.
0: Listening to people who were on the ground and really yes. making yourself uh, amenable to the things that they're saying and providing resources and being innovative. Um, I believe these are the same kind of things that are going to impact another kind of um, global situation that we're experiencing Mm -hmm. right now. Um, So in addition to COVID-19, there's been a major global racial movement. Um, It was really, it's been growing for a while now, but the catalyst of George Floyd's killing in Minnesota has really um, supercharged um, this American movement to anti-racism. And people of faith are denouncing overt and systemic racism um, in a louder voice than they have ever, I think. Um, So, and for the first time, this really polarizing Black Lives Matter, while it's still polarizing, people are declaring it. So, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about CBF's response to the situation?
2: So, CBF, for the last number of years, um, has had a commitment to racial justice and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be dishonest to say that everybody who's ever been affiliated with CBF has always been deeply committed to racial justice and inclusion. But when you look at the folks who were in our founding generation, a number of them are people who worked courageously alongside my friend, Dr. Emmanuel McCall in the 1950s and 1960s to start moving toward a different racial climate in the United States in that period of time. So uh, in our DNA, both among uh, black people who were in CBF and white people, there is a longing for racial justice, that being said, you' are absolutely right that the horrible things that we have seen so uh and it, George floyd's death is the most obvious example, but it's not the only no um so even as we've been dealing with the um acute pandemic related to covid nineteen a um a long standing pandemic related to racial injustice in this part of the world that goes back more than 400 years it's chronic has been laid yep. bare mm-hmm. and you know i think in the voices of our sisters and brothers in christ who are black um we are hearing uh, lament and frustration and um You know, I I think the peaceful protests that we see are are kind of an embodied uh, communal lament in a declaration that this cannot continue. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And this cannot continue. Mm -hmm. And that cannot just be the testimony of the black church. No. That has to be the testimony of the church. Because if we really take seriously this notion that in Christ there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, but we're all one in Christ Jesus because, as Paul said, we're all the children of God, then, you know, we are all being joined to a community uh, on the foundation of the image of God through our baptisms into Christ. You know, George Floyd is our brother. Mm. Um, Brianna Taylor is our sister. Yep. And so I think part of our calling right now is to remind people that the search for authentic racial justice and honest racial reconciliation is not a political agenda. It is a gospel mandate. Mm -hmm. There you go. And it goes all the way back to good news to the poor, release of the captives, recovery of sight of the blind, and let the oppressed go free. Mm Mm-hmm. We have many, many sisters and brothers in Christ oppressed by racial injustice who need to be set free. And some of us need to be delivered from our blindness for the ways that Amen. Um, <laughs> white whiteness uh, gives us privileges that we've not been always comfortable owning.
1: Right.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think for some of us who grew up after the 1960s, um, you know, and particularly a generation that came of age with a black president, there was this sense that maybe we would moved beyond this. Mm-hmm. We have not moved beyond this. And, and, and these wounds have been laid bare. And so I want us to say clearly, this is not a political cause. This is not a Republican cause or a Democratic cause. It's a Jesus cause. Mm. It doesn't begin um, in the legislature. It begins in the mission and mind and love of God. I want us all to be restless, um, relentlessly restless in the face of the injustice. Mm -hmm. And while I absolutely recognize and honor that for some of us who are white, this journey has some discomfort. I also think those of us who are white need to remember that the discomfort we feel in the face of these conversations or these awarenesses is nothing like the discomfort that our black sisters and brothers in Christ have experienced for centuries. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, working, you know, Paul's phrase about working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, how do we as faith leaders, as congregational leaders, lay and clergy work to be, um, to offer a lived answer to the Lord's prayer in the face of this. And, you know, I, I I'm hopeful that, um, we can con- continue our commitments in CBF to help congregations Uh, partner with uh, black congregations in their communities, um, with other organizations in their communities to work tangibly for justice. Um, This Friday, uh, Juneteenth, CBF will formally open um, uh, the McCall racial equity fund. That's great. This summer we will be receiving catalytic gifts. I'm going to break this news on uh, this uh, good faith podcast today. It seems like <laughs> a good faith thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, on, Ju- on Juneteenth, uh, we will open the McCall Racial Equity Fund, which is an extension of our McCall Initiative for Racial Justice that CBF established several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will be seeking to raise money uh, to contribute to the priorities of the McCall Initiative about uh, helping CBF congregations do the work of racial justice in our own communities, uh, as well as inviting more Uh, black congregations into relationship with CBF uh, with our fellowship. Um, CBF is blessed that we have black leaders already in our community, not just Emmanuel McCall. We have a Pan-African Koinonia steering committee that includes uh, pastors and church starters, um, dedicated leaders in our fellowship who want to see CBF be more and more of a faith home for them. Um, And we need to be in active faith relationships with sisters and brothers in Christ who are black. We need that for our own salvation. Um, The McCall Racial Equity Fund will also help CBF do meaningful uh, repair work in our communities by building relationships with historically black colleges and universities, uh, contributing to the kind of what we're doing in Together for Hope, where many of the uh, poorest counties and rural spaces in North America are also um, overwhelmingly black. Mm -hmm. It'll allow us to establish new partnerships. We're gonna be challenging individuals and congregations to consider making a catalytic gift of this fund between Juneteenth and the 400th anniversary in August of black enslavement. Wow. Mm. We wanna see the fund grow over the years, but we would love to see congregations and individuals make foundational gifts this summer. Sure. And so we think it's important that we not just be involved in speaking about racial injustice and racial justice from a more honest theological place, we also have heard the prophet Micah's is called to do justice yeah. mm-hmm. and establishing this fund that can be used for those purposes of doing justice and building relationships and growing CBF as we kind of set a new table sure. to which um, we, we come looking more and more like the, the early Christians in Acts and not um, like echo chambers of today. Mm-hmm. Um That's part of our commitment to doing justice. Well, that's a great initiative, Paul. question. God has work for us to do. (laughs) Well,
1: that's a great initiative. And I know uh, uh, CBF does have a historical record of uh, calling for racial justice and uh, standing up, advocating for racial justice, and Mm -hmm. appreciate all that uh, you've done. Let's change gears a little bit, uh, still regarding uh, the pandemic and the the, uh, time in which we. Uh, find ourselves uh cbf had to call an audible uh when uh <laughs> call a lot of audibles. yeah uh, w- with their general mind. assembly uh yes. usually you know a wonderful experience every summer uh cooperative baptist fellowship folks uh, gather in one location to worship uh hear reports collaborate uh work on joint missions together. It's just, it's always a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. Well, with COVID-19, obviously there's no large gatherings taking place across the country, but you've moved to a virtual meeting this year. And Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about uh, what uh, the audience can expect when they register online uh, Mm cbf.net to become part of this uh, virtual general assembly.
2: So the virtual general assembly will offer many of the same kind of opportunities that our in-person assembly does. Obviously, without the hallway conversations and the kind of family reunion atmosphere we have when we gather in one city for several days. But over the two days of Thursday and Friday of next week, there will be two uh, worship services, uh, one on Thursday evening and one on Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Uh, There will be two plenary sessions. In the Thursday morning plenary session, Dr. Emmanuel McCall uh, will give a keynote address. We extended that invitation in December, yeah. by the way. Yeah, It was not a late add to our schedule.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Friday morning, we'll hear from Sheila and Jade Acker, who are field personnel in Uganda, in Kampala, where they run a ministry called Refuge and Hope that is just an example of the beautiful ministries that CBF field personnel are leading all over the world. Um, there will be workshops. We had a wonderful group of workshops initially proposed and approved for our in-person meeting. We had to completely redesign our workshop model for the virtual space. But that also gave us a chance to seek some content directly related to this moment in our in our lives, as well as keeping some of the content that was originally offered. Um, so there will be workshops, there'll be network gatherings, um, there'll be partner events during the lunch hours both days. Um, So all those things that you would normally expect at a general assembly uh, will still be available. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll have some folks join us for the virtual assembly who would not have come to Atlanta. Right. That that we'll have more lay people, that we'll have more first-time guests, um, that it'll be a way of introducing CBF and and making our kind of front door, our biggest gathering, uh, more available. Um, so I'm energized by that opportunity. Um, I'm also keenly aware that there'll be things that some of us have become accustomed to that we won't be able to do. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the high quality relational events that happen after hours or informally or the catching up with old friends, that will not happen in the same way this year. Yeah. But we made a very early decision. And I think I think some people thought we were taking weeks and weeks. To decide whether or not we could actually have an in-person general assembly, that actually was not what we were we were focused on.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we were focused on the question: What would be involved? What would have to be true to do a virtual general assembly uh, that would help our fellowship step forward at this important moment in our life together? We really believed that we had a responsibility to try to offer some, just as our congregations changing their means of connection but not shutting down, we felt like after all the innovation and courage and perseverance and energy congregations have made to remake their lives this spring, for us to stand up and say, hey, we're just not going to do it, we're just going to leave it all is for another year would not have been responsive to the way our congregations were leading and functioning. Yeah, I'm so glad you
1: guys decided to to meet virtually and, uh, you know, like you just said, with all of the Um, with all of the adaptations by local congregations and other organizations, people have gotten pretty tech savvy, uh, more so than they were three months ago. And that includes myself, uh, That uh, I think I think you're you're going to be experiencing a really good uh, General Assembly this year. It's going to be different. Uh, there's yes. going to be things that we mourn. Uh, we know that we are mourning here at Good Faith Media because the General Assembly was supposed to be our launch campaign. We yes. had a lot of uh, events planned uh, there at the General Assembly in Atlanta. No but...
0: T-shirt cannons, alas.
1: <laughs> yeah, we were going to bring. Yeah, we were going to bring t-shirt cannons into. <laughs> uh, you know. What? You know, uh, uh, but
2: I, I am I am really pleased by how much we will be able to do. Sure, absolutely. It will be different, but I think it will be helpful. And I think it will help move our community forward. Mm-hmm. And you know we're uh, we are hopeful that by next summer we'll be able to meet in person in Washington D.C. Yeah, I hope uh, so too. But uh, right now this is the way uh, to gather our community and join together in worship and fellowship and mission and do the things that we've been committing to every year since our founding almost 30 years ago.
1: And uh, those who are interested can still sign up at yes. uh, cbf.net, register for yes. the General Assembly, and they can That's do that uh, all the way through next week?
2: Well, the, the advanced online registration will, will close Friday, but there will be – an, a, a next week registration option as well. Okay, great. You know, we, always took up walk, we always took walk-ups at the actual meeting. Sure, so. sure.
1: good. Well, Paul, uh, we're, our time is coming to a close, but okay. each and every episode, uh, Autumn gets the last question, and uh, it's a tough one, so good luck.
0: <laughs> there's no trigonometry involved, so that's <laughs> the good news. Um, our motto at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. And so in light of everything that's going on, what is your more to tell?
2: I think my more to tell uh, can, can be boiled down to the statement that in spite of all the challenges that we're talking about and all the challenges we face, I don't think our congregations individually or our fellowship most generously defined has ever in our 30 years had an opportunity for witness and ministry more important than what we have right now. Our life together has never been more necessary than it is right now. Mm. Uh, our congregations in their witness have never been more urgently important than they are right now. And so, you know, I want to encourage us all. Um, it's really easy to feel hopeless in this moment. Mm-hmm. The darkness is overwhelming some days. But I, I, I got to preach a sermon last Sunday, uh, virtually, for a church in South Carolina. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to preach it now. <laughs> good news of great That's good news, right? <laughs> a good faith. But, you know, I remembered something I heard uh, Methodist Bishop Will Willman say years ago in a sermon, God does God's best work in the dark. Mm. And I think in these challenging, difficult, unprecedented moments, God has really good work to do through those of us who love God and sense a call to God's purpose in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I would want us to face these challenges with hope, with confidence, with aspiration, with boldness. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we do, um, when the history of this time is written, we'll be able to look back and see that we collectively responded in ways that honored God and were agents of transformation, healing, and justice in our communities. Mm -hmm. And, And that would be an answer to prayer.
1: Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule A week before General Assembly is to launch uh, to take some time to visit with us here at Good Faith Weekly. We really appreciate your leadership within the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and all the great things that CBF is doing over this spectrum of uh, issues and circumstances we find ourselves in.
2: Well, thanks, Mitch, and we're, we are excited for you and your— uh... Your colleagues at Good Faith Media, we regret we're not going to have the full launch party we were supposed to have uh, in a couple weeks in Atlanta. But we are really, uh, really grateful for the commitments you all have made and the chances we'll have to work together in the future. So thank you so much. You
1: bet. Well, make certain uh, if you're listening to go to CBF.net and register. Uh, If you don't get to register, make certain you tune tune in to their live stream of uh, the General Assembly uh, next week. And until next time, Autumn and I want to wish everybody that uh, during these dark days, as Paul indicated, that we're all walking in good faith. We'll see you next week.